church, congratulations. I was wa- lost in wonder, love, and praise with you on that song. Somebody say amen. And they forgot completely that I was next on the list. I'm a little dry this morning. Um, the times in my life, I'm, I'm not a big camper. I've not gone camping every time you turn around. It's just not been kind of part of my my upbringing, but there were times when our family went camping, and uh, I, I did discover that my dad had one thing that he was really kind of good at. He 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 knew how to figure out how a process of we'd cook eggs on an open fire, uh, cook bacon on an open fire. You'd pull the bacon off. You had grease, and then you'd cook potatoes. You'd cut up potatoes and put them in there, open fire, and then you would just throw the crumble up the bacon, throw it in there, and throw eggs on top of that, and you, you had this scrambled egg thing. It worked. And every time I smell a campfire, I can taste eggs, potatoes, and bacon. Especially eggs, potatoes, and bacon just have a few burned pieces in. You know, it's an open fire, so you get, have a little bit of burns on it. As a youth minister, um, it became a tradition to have a campfire to close out the year. Uh, end of summer, we're sending seniors off to college and those kinds of things. And we wouldn't just have a campfire, but it oftentimes, if, if the weather was right, we'd have a camp out. And um, the kids knew that I would fall asleep. And there were other adults there, but the other adults, for some reason or another, were in collusion with the kids. And they would never tell me what went on after I fell asleep in front of the campfire. They thought that was just the funniest thing ever. But I also have this memory of a birthday with Drew. I don't know if it was 12 or 13, something like that. Dad, I want to have a camp out. Great, we will go. Uh, where my parents owned a piece of property, we had a tree house. Dad had just refurbished the tree house, actually rented a scissor lift to build it this time as opposed to telling me hold on to the trunk of the tree so he could beating a hold on to my back of my belt and put boards in things like that I, I these grandchildren just I mean just totally spoiled no fear whatsoever just ride the scissor lip up and put it in place Drew wanted to camp out we headed out there great fire I decided that I would make eggs and bacon and potatoes in the evening as opposed to in the morning partially because there were these clouds on the horizon We had a great time around the fire. I didn't fall asleep this time, but they ran around and did stuff, and I didn't ask too much about whatever they did. But I do remember the smell of the fire and then the sound of hissing as raindrops began to hit. And I just never forget this because they were up in the treehouse, about five of them. We were in a pickup truck pretty crowded and all I had to do was say boys (laughs) they had been up and been watching the lightning coming in and all this kind of were just waiting for me to say it's time to go and they come scrambling literally throwing sleeping bags off the edge of the thing where we we actually went back a couple of days later when it quit raining and there were several things that didn't get picked up that in the dark there we all crammed into the front of the pickup there's very little that smells uniquely like 12-year-old boys who've been running around all night and then they got wet, just so you know. There's very few things. 
amazing how our memories can be tied to not just the site of a campfire, because I think what's even more powerful about a campfire is the way it smells and the way those memories are awakened within us when we smell those things. Callan, thank you for your reading from John 21. Cast your nets on the right side and they couldn't pull it all in and Peter runs or swims in to he sees Jesus and Jesus says bring some fish let's put it on the fire they eat together when the meal is concluded this conversation begins when they had finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me and I think he's pointing to the other disciples do you love me more than these Yes, Lord, he said, you know. And by the way, it's interesting that he he doesn't enter into the comparison. That I love you. And Jesus said, say it with me, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Say it with me, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And don't we sympathize with this? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. I've been hanging around with you for three years and you know the answer to these questions before you ever ask them. So you know my heart. You know all things. And you know I love you. And Jesus said, say it with me please, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. For anyone who steps into any kind of leadership role, particularly when we move from that idea like we talked about last week of leadership as an example, I lead by my example, to a leadership where I start making decisions for other people. We as a couple start making decisions in a marriage. We as a family start making decisions for our children. We as Bible class teachers start making decisions about how we'll teach and what we'll teach because we're guiding others, we're leading others. I don't think there's a greater call in all of Scripture than Jesus' call to Peter feed my sheep. In many ways, it summarizes the function of what all leadership is supposed to be about, but as we've already mentioned multiple times today, as we point towards the idea of identifying elders to serve this congregation, the concept that above all else, what we need you to do is feed the sheep. But it also filters down into every one of our roles as someone who will lead. Now, there may be some of you who are sitting here that say, wait a minute, I'm not in that place where I lead yet. I'm still a student. I'm still, and I'm just leading by example. I'm not making any decisions for anybody else, except what I can promise you is that you're making decisions today and establishing patterns today that will impact the kind of leader that you will be, the kind of feed my sheep person that you can become. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. 
But to feed my sheep, there are basically three things that I would summarize are involved in that. First of all, we must provide for the sheep. Whoever our flock is, whoever we're leading, we need to be sure that they have what they can, what they need to, if we're a teacher, they have what they need to learn. If we're a parent, they have what they need to grow up. In our society, the idea that the provision of clean water and food is sort of a given. There are parts of the world, Chewie and I have been to parts of the world where parents are working real hard to find enough food and water for their children to have to provide for them, just basic sort of need, to have a roof over their head, to provide for them to flourish. And to a certain extent, when we look at what God's instructions to us are, we can almost always identify the fact that when he instructs us to not lie, or when he instructs us to be faithful, that he's providing for us something better. Secondly, if I'm going to feed sheep as a leader, I don't just provide for folks, I protect folks. Parents, you have engaged in this from the moment that 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 thing that was in mommy's tummy came out and the doctor said, here's your son or daughter. Maybe for a couple of you they said, and here's the next son or daughter, and here's, you know, that kind of a thing. But from that moment, suddenly... And it seems, at least in our society, that our minds turn not so much, am I going to be able to get them food and water and housing and clothes and all that kind of stuff. Our minds in our society particularly turn to, how will I ever protect them? There are people who have given up on the idea that a child can be protected in our society and they're just not going to have children because there's too many dangers. I think that's a mistake. I think as people of God, God has said we are to be fruitful and multiply. And that we find a great blessing in the process of becoming parents. Is it hard work? Somebody say. There were more female voices in that. I'm not sure exactly what that is. but, But we recognize that there is great joy. And and what I want to say to you is one of the reasons that God encourages us, and, and I recognize that there are people who struggle with having children, but God generally wants to point us towards the idea that you will know me better and you will become somebody who is more aware of what it is to give faithful love to someone, sacrificial love to someone, if you step into parenthood. And so he wants to bless us in that way. But as parents, we have this incredible need to protect. Whether it's don't touch the hot stove, or it is the incredible, difficult process of discerning whether a movie or a TV show or a particular musical artist or an activity that goes on for children of my children's ages, is that, is that something that is leading them in a direction that's negative or is that something that can be something that can be used for positive gain? Let me just be sure and say, you can provide, you can combine provision and protection by doing one simple thing. And this is not the only thing you need to do, but, and this is tongue-in-cheek, you're right. But parents, there are these things called Bible classes that are going on at 9.30 on Sunday morning. And soon you're going to be hearing about Bible classes for children going on on Wednesday night. Somebody say hallelujah, we're going to have those things going on sooner rather than later. And in that moment, you get to provide 
the good that God, God wants for them and you get to protect them because, see, they're not at home watching TV if they're here. Simple step, great opportunity. Provide, protect, and finally, guidance. God doesn't just pull sheep out of the hat when he starts talking about the way that he cares for people. He doesn't use cattle. He doesn't use ducks. He doesn't use a lot of things. He uses sheep. Sheep are thought to be a relatively intelligent animal at different times, except there are certain behaviors that they have, like the fact that they can be so consumed with eating the next blade of glass that they will just wind up anywhere because they're just kind of following what comes naturally. If I'm a shepherd and I am dealing with sheep, then I have to be sure that I'm guiding them to the best places, that I'm not letting them overgraze a pasture, that I'm making sure that we stay away from those places where they can fall into ravines and things akin to that. I make sure that the water that I take them to is not fast-moving water. I want to be sure it's calm water because they can literally step off into it and be swept away. I want to guide them where they need to go. And as parents, as teachers, as people who lead in business settings, we have this obligation to point in the right direction, to point in good directions, to say, this is a preferred path for us to go. And oftentimes, it's not going to be the idea that God stands there and say, Right path, wrong path. More often than not, he says, I need you to trust me and I need you to listen to me. I'll help you discern, but likely the sign at the intersection is not going to be black and white. Likely you're going to have to discern the best ways to go and how few times it will be. It'll just be one of two choices but instead one of multiple choices. And we get to figure out how to guide folks home. To be one who provides and protects, but particularly to be one who guides well as we go about the process of feeding lambs, feeding sheep, taking care of the people that God has entrusted us with. I want to point to a life Teenagers, remember I said that I'd come back to the idea that it's not just about when you get to be a leader that you get to decide how you want to lead. Leadership is developed from the earliest stages in your life. And there are some traits, ways that your life is going. So, number one, and there are quite a few. I'm going to run through them fairly quickly here. First of all, it's a life of scriptural study that leads to wisdom and thought and living. We talked about wisdom last week and we made reference to the idea that to see things the way God wants to see things, we have to turn to his word and we have to depend on him there. And what that should produce as we are getting preparing to guide others is we're investing in our time in God's word so that the wisdom is growing in us. And the wisdom just isn't going to grow as something that's in our heads, an idea, but instead that wisdom starts to find its way out in the way that we live. And that's true long before we step into that role where we become a decision maker for others. Secondly, 
It's a life that is typified by prayer that leads to fruitful discernment. Prayer that leads to fruitful discernment. We've got discerning going on all over the place around here right now. We're discerning what our budget's going to be next year, our ministry potential. We're discerning uh, men that we want to see move forward as elders. That discernment word keeps coming up over and over and over. And there's a big difference to me between discerning and deciding. Sometimes deciding is more about flipping a coin. We're going to decide who gets to receive or kick off at the Super Bowl because we're going to flip a coin. That's how we're going to decide how to do that. Discernment is where we take our life in Scripture and our life in prayer and say, God, speak to me so that I may discern what you see and the way that you would like us to go. It is going to be a life that's full of courage and conviction that continues to stand up in the face of struggles. I remember when I was 16, 17, and 18, and I thought, I cannot wait till I grow up and these struggles go away. I have bad news for you guys. The struggles, as opposed to being small and basically related to individual lives, become large and they affect whole. And we either learn to be people of courage and conviction on the front end, and we shape our lives towards the idea that I'm not going to fold when the heat gets turned up. Because someday there's going to be a flock that's depending on me to be courageous and hold to my conviction. A life of courage and conviction. Next, it is a life, and I mentioned this last week, but I want to be sure and mention it again because it's so important. A life of distinguishing good from evil. Somebody say amen. There are times where thus saith the Lord can kind of be quoted. But also distinguishing from the good, the better, and from the better, the best. I don't know about you, but as I raised my children, I didn't just kind of sit there and say, ah, well, that's good enough. Anybody in the good enough business when it comes to your children? We're not. I have a feeling that if you're a business leader, I've never been able to step into that kind of a managerial role in a business. Closest thing I've ever come to is I was the oldest teenager who was potting up trees at dad's tree farm on a Saturday and I told them you need to this and you need to that because they were younger teenagers. That doesn't count. I just want you to know. But there are some of you who have that. And I have a feeling that there is no sense in which as a business leader you will ever really succeed long term if it's just, well, this is, this is a good way to go. No. You are looking for the way to make it a better path. And it may be better not just because it produces more profit, but it may be better because it creates a better company and more loyal employees. And we want to point ourselves. And you know what? The people who do this the best, I think, who are the most accomplished at this are people who realize that there's always a best that I haven't yet gotten to. Parents, 
My prayer is that you are constantly yearning for the idea that there is something even better for my child. And by the way, what I mean by that is not I'm going to buy them a better Xbox. I'm going to buy them a better car. I'm going to make sure that they have more stylish shoes or stylish clothes because that's the best. I mean, can they become the best human beings possible if I do this? Can they become the most faithful to God people that they can be if I do this? Not just okay, but the best. Finally, I think the guide, and this is where I have to admit that I moved from a place, particularly where we talk about tending sheep, to being a shepherd of people. It is a life that bears the fruit of good listening. The best kind of leaders are leaders who listen. The best kind of parent is a parent who listens. The best kind of teacher is a teacher who listens. I have a feeling the best kind of business leader is a business leader who listens. Not that you're, oh, which way the wind blowing? But you're trying to create connections. You're trying to understand. You're trying to take yourself out of where you are entrenched and say, I want to understand where somebody else is because that may better inform where I am. It's a life that bears the fruit of good listening. And I think sometimes we, we hold up leaders, and maybe this is particularly true of folks that we would say, this is a, a person that I want to be an elder who shepherds our congregation. We say, boy, doesn't he give good speeches? But have you ever sat down with him and experienced being heard? I've got to spend a lot of time with a lot of elders over the years. Um, O.L. Frazier was a guy that was in Belton. And O.L. was always somebody who was calm enough and peaceful enough that he was ready to come and sit in the office and say, how are things going? And he'd listen to a punk youth minister who was just wet behind the ears as he could be, and yet he wanted to hear what was going on. And when I got done with telling him all the things that was going on in our ministry, he said, but what's going on with you? I appreciate in this congregation the way that Bob Long was a person who probably is not going to be the first one to say something. But in that process, I think that we can agree he was somebody who was listening. He's no longer serving as an elder, but I happen to know that many of you probably still see him as someone who is shepherding or one of those leading guides in your life. But see, it's not just the fruit of listening to others, is it? I'm looking for people who show the fruit of listening to God. Isn't it easy to just sit down with prayer and just, I thank you, I thank you, and I need, and I need, and this other person needs? Aren't I good? I'm going to talk about what they need. When we get to the end of the prayer, we say, I never heard from God. The question would be, did you stop long enough? listen I'm going to close out this lesson but I want to also say close out this series of sermons 
on being good leaders by pointing you to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, there are two campfires that we encounter. Did you notice that really interesting, specific language that Jesus had prepared a campfire on the shore, a charcoal campfire? And we could, of course, assume that what that meant was Jesus had been there all night and he had burned the fire long enough for there to be coals there or something like that. Except that what we notice when we read John is that there's another place in John's gospel where a charcoal fire shows up. It's when Peter's sitting in the courtyard outside the room where Jesus is being condemned to death. And three people come up to, say, to him and say, Don't you know Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? Uh, your accent gives you away. You have to be one of his people. And three times, he said no. I could go on to say the other two, but they get kind of profane, is what the text tells us. I have a feeling that when Peter got to the shore and he saw the fire, he didn't just see the fire, he smelled the fire. And he remembered where he had smelled and seen that fire before. Three denials. And I don't know if Peter ever got it. But as the people asked him three times, aren't you one of his? And three times he said no. Jesus specifically, three times. And you can pick out some little technical nuances in the language of the three questions, but I have a feeling the real import is that there are three. And they're not three questions to all the disciples. There are three questions to Peter. And three times. Jesus doesn't have to say, peace be with you. Because what he says is, I want to restore you to the full place of being my disciple. I'm going to restore you because you're going to be one of my apostles. I want to restore you because you're going to be one of those people that stands up on Pentecost and says, you crucified Jesus, but I know from personal experience, he is ready to forgive us. He is ready for us to be restored if we will put our faith in him and that restoration. As a parent, if I'm not humble enough to confess that I don't have it all right, that I have flaws and failings, I can promise you, number one, that you'll probably fail as a parent. Number two, the other promise I can make is that the kids will never trust you because they know better than the idea that you're perfect. It is so tempting when we talk about discerning men and identifying men, that we're asking God to lead us in that, and we set up these, these senses of, and we just in Bible class a few minutes ago said these qualifications that they need to be and if they don't check off all the boxes if they're not absolutely perfect they can never be there's only one person who fulfills that and that is the great shepherd the good shepherd Jesus Christ the rest of us are flawed human beings the rest of us are flawed human beings 
And the idea that we would put someone as an elder with the expectation that they will be perfect is flawed. In fact, 1 John chapter 1 will say, if you claim to be without sin, you're the one who's really missed the mark. Instead, what we become is people who confess. And I'm thankful that every one of the elders that I've sat with at this congregation over nearly 13 years of being here has never been above saying, humbling themselves and saying, I'm not sure I got this right. And as opposed to us denigrating people for that, I hope we understand that it makes them a better leader. Does that mean we need to look for leaders who are currently struggling with major issues in their life? And the answer is no. Do we need to look for leaders who are humble enough to say, I don't have it all together and I'm not going to try to give you the impression that I have it all together. Paul will say it succinctly in a couple of places. I'm going to read through from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 a verse and then I'm going to jump to Philippians chapter 3. This will be the majority of our invitation. 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure to be servants of God, the treasure to be somebody that might lead a flock in some way or another. We have this treasure in jars of clay, fragile, often broken, nicked, jars of clay, to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Philippians chapter 3. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. He said that with pride. He hadn't read the Gospels yet, had he? A Pharisee, and as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to be, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now that I have already obtained, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. You're going to stand for the invitation, so stand for this and read with me these last few lines. But one thing I know, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The invitation is Jesus' words to Peter and to you. Do you love me? you'd like to publicly respond to that invitation, you can come at this time. If you're online and would like to make an expression, you can send it through that text that's right there. We'll get it.
do you love me? And are you ready to feed my sheep? Won't you come as we stand and as we sing?